Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Falcoholic Podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Live. This is your host, Kevin Knight, reminding you to check out the show live on YouTube on Wednesday nights at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. We also encourage you to check out our Patreon page where you can unlock exclusive perks, including access to a patron Q&A session where we take Falcons questions for about 30 minutes to an hour. That's a lot of fun. You can find that page at patreon.com slash falcoholiclive. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 160 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, joined by my co-host this evening. He is Director of Guest Personnel, Evan Birchfield, at the very easy to remember, at Evan Birchfield on Twitter. Evan, how are you doing tonight? Um, I'm good. It's been a couple days since the uh, Washington game, so yeah, I'm much calmer than I was on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Very frustrating game. Uh, Adnan and I and Eric, you know, Eric had to pull over from his uh, return home, I believe, from the sports bar to <laughs> to deliver a, a very important rant. Uh, he was just parked in like a public parking lot or something for like an hour while he got his takes off. So uh, that's exactly how this game made us feel. I'm sure it was very frustrating to all you guys as well. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we should have uh, Will McFadden joining us also later in the show. Not sure about Eric's status, still waiting to see on that, but uh, you're going to get a heavy dose of the director of guest personnel himself tonight, um, which is nice every once in a while because Evan Evan's kind enough to sort of take a backseat when we have guests, but Evan has good takes too, okay, guys? So this, <laughs> is, this is your time, Evan, to deliver the takes. Unfortunately, it's about a real stinker That's of a game. Too much, yeah. too much pressure. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Obviously, Falcons end up losing uh, in the final minutes to Washington, uh, 34-30. to uh, Obviously, the points scored on behalf of the Falcons, much better. Uh, points given up, still bad. So, yeah, I mean, the game was very frustrating for a lot of reasons, but I'll sort of open the floor to you to sort of get us started on, on what uh, what we should take away from this game and, and any anything you want to rehash about the game, we can we can do that before we move on. I feel like like the anger and stuff has kind of left my body. It, it, it usually does, like after two days. But I I will say the thing that frustrated me the most um, was I I can't uh, remember the exact like how much time was on the clock, but it was like in the ten minute range where they started getting noticeably like really conservative in the play calling. Yeah, I just want for once like a Falcons coach, you know to just keep the pedal to the metal. Like don't sit there and let off and think I see. That's why it's like confusing to me is if you're in a situation where you have a dominant defense and you have a punter who isn't injured and out of the game, (laughs) a functional punter. I can, right. Then I could understand like kind of letting off a little because you're not trying to like get people hurt. But even then that's not this team. Why, why they thought they would just run the ball 
and kill some clock and get out of there when there's like plenty of time on the clock still. Um, and then it was noticeable because they then got, you know, had to punt it with coup, which the first punt was like a disaster. <laughs> yeah, and I don't blame good. him because no. he's a kicker, not a punter. And that's totally different. But then you watch when the Falcons offense was back on the field, um, how the play calling switched into, Oh shit mode. And it's just like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, the, the play calling was great, in my opinion, up until then. Um, Patterson wasn't even on the field like when he needed to be. Like he right. was great the whole game, so it only makes mm-hmm, sense mm-hmm. to pull him then. And even if you trust Mike Davis, you're trusting somebody who finished with 13 carries and 14 yards. Like I like right. Mike Davis. I think he's yeah. good, but he wasn't getting it done on Sunday. He just wasn't like at mm-hmm. all. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. I, you know, I'm not completely writing off Arthur Smith or anything, but um, I just, I I left the game with a lot of questions and clearly I was upset. Um, I don't think a lot of us think this team's like going to make noise in the playoffs or anything, but you still want to see them be competitive. And I think what's frustrating is when they're winning and decide to lose as opposed to just coming out and being like, this just isn't a good team. They showed that they should have beat Washington. Oh yeah, that yeah. bothers me more than just saying okay. Well, they, they, I mean, they just weren't better on Sunday. They were yeah. better for like the entire game until the fourth quarter, and then that's when, in classic fashion, um, they just blew it. I guess you could say. I mean, yep. I don't know. It's frustrating, but oh yeah, um, yeah. It, it does make it to where like I don't know what to expect from this team like ever now. I I know it's a new regime, and I'm not panicking on the new regime or anything. But those are moments where you, you know, you don't blow a game like that. Like it was like, and I get that he's a new head coach, but like he's been a offensive coordinator on a talented, you know, Tennessee Titans team. I've never coached a day in my life. And I knew that was getting conservative when you're just doing like second and 13 runs. Like why that hasn't been working. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, to me, it just seems like Arthur Smith kind of, let the game get away from a little bit. Um, and I, I do think some of it is like just rookie mistakes from, from a young head coach and that doesn't make it feel any better. It just sort of is where I'm at with it because I just, the, the, the decisions just, they, they don't hold up to scrutiny. Like you don't run on second and 13 ever. <laughs> I mean, there, there and you are, don't have there, to be <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill Belichick or somebody yeah. to know that like you, like anybody knows, like, why yeah. are you doing that? that and early? it's it's one thing to sort of run to, to to call that run play if like you have Derrick Henry or an elite rushing attack. That right. that's one thing. It's also another thing if you're like, well, worst case scenario, we're just gonna punt it away. But you, your punter wasn't healthy. Young Way Koo had just shanked one for like twenty yards. So so if you don't get the first down, you're gonna be punting from like your thirty yard line without a functional punter. And to Young Way Who's uh, Koo's credit, he delivered a pretty good punt there, but. Um, that is not something I would have banked on if I was a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the best way to win the game at that point wasn't to burn clock. There was still, when the Falcons got the ball in that drive, I think it was 3.52 remaining. Um, they did burn, you know, almost two minutes off the clock. But, I mean, you, you had to get a first down to really end the game on that drive. Like, they weren't in range of sort of ending the game on that drive. So I think the priority should always be to get the, fir- to get the first down um, instead of, trying to burn clock like the game doesn't change measurably if you burn only 
20 seconds of clock or two minutes. Like you're still giving Washington an opportunity to go down and score and, and get a field goal to win the game. Um, it, it doesn't like, I, I feel like burning clock, even if you burn the entire two minutes or whatever that you could on four downs, it's not worth, it's not worth it. Like I would rather throw three incomplete passes trying to get a first down after, or two incomplete passes at, trying to get a first down um, after you know, you get the tackle for loss on first down, which obviously messes up all everything you wanted to do. But they were carving up Washington in the passing game mm-hmm. all day. <laughs> Matt um, Ryan had one of his best games in a long yes, time. Yes, So it was um, weird to just take the ball out of his hands. And, like, you know, I, I, I also trust Mike Davis not to fumble, but, like, fumbling the ball isn't going to make any, things that much worse for you at that point. Like, you only have a two-point lead. If you don't run out the clock here and get a first down— you're like either way, Washington's kicking the field goal. Like I, I, I firmly believe that NFL teams are gonna get that field goal like more than fifty percent of the time. When, so, when he says, um, "I trust," you know how he trusts Mike Davis, and that's great and all. But isn't that a classic display of um, coaching not to lose? Like, yes, you're not yeah. coaching to win; you're coaching to lo- not like to you're, lose. You're worried about ball security in that situation. Like, right, really? right, with like, that much time on the clock, like. <laughs> I, I mean, Corderell Patterson's like the best kick returner in the league. Ball security is a key component of being a kick returner. Um, he doesn't fumble a lot. And this is a man that was averaging like 5.7 yards per carry. And you don't put him on the field? I just, I don't get it. I mean, maybe it's like he didn't, he wasn't really used a lot at all towards the end of the game. And I get that they trust Mike Davis. But as you said, I mean, Mike Davis was averaging like one yard per carry, which is abysmal. And I, some of that was bad luck, but... Also, he just wasn't effective on that day, and you have to adjust your game plan to what's happening. It doesn't mean Mike Davis can't be an effective runner ever for this team, but he wasn't against Washington. You ride the guys that are that are working for you, and I mean, even Wayne Gallman on his six carries, I mean, he had almost five yards a carry at 4.8, so I just mm-hmm. don't see the why it's necessary for the team to sort of go back to Mike Davis, who, who had the most carries in the game, so it wasn't like, oh, well, these other guys, you know, these they were tired, so we need to get Mike. No, like they had just a handful of carries each. Uh, Mike Davis was the one who carried the ball over ten times. So if anything, he would have been the tired guy. But um, I just I think it was just a total breakdown there, and like it wasn't just those last two drives that lost the Falcons the game. The officiating was was poor all around. Um, you know, the defensive pass interference that was picked up uh, inexplicably could have easily changed the outcome. You could also argue that the Roughing the passer call on Chase Young was probably bogus, and that very well could have, you know, changed the outcome for Washington. So, you know, that's why I hate to ever blame anything on officiating, but that was obviously sloppy. And they gave up a kick return touchdown. You don't give up that freaking touchdown off the opening kickoff of the second half. Right. And this game is in the bag. Yes, like this This game is in the bag. Like, if Washington has to say Washington scores on that drive, they're probably, you know, chances are it's like at least a three or four minute drive. Um, and even if they score a touchdown on that drive, that's three or four minutes off the clock. That would have the game would have been over before they had a chance to tie the game at the end. So, and let's any one of these things, yeah, could have made the a difference. play where Heineke was like literally getting sacked. Oh my sacked. god! Don't remember. And don't just remember like, me. I, I, and then Taylor Green TJ just gave Green up on the just, play. TJ yeah, Green, he's yeah. just like, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, like, I he believe didn't cover at all. I yeah, was, I mean, clearly he thought it was a sack. And he, so right. he stopped playing. I mean, both both Falcons defenders sort of did. You but yes, you always played to the whistle. You always played to the whistle. So uh, there, it was just classic 
yeah, I mean, pretty, like, pretty I don't classic. like I don't want to believe in like superstitions and this kind of stuff, but it's hard not to when you watch teams literally just melt like that with different regimes in place. Like it's bizarre. Just I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it just was bizarre, but it, it was it was mistakes. And I mean, I wrote an article about it, and the title kind of sums it up: mistakes in all phases cost the Falcons yeah. the game. Um, except I guess the offense, you know, for most of the game, I think for three quarters, the offense was really carrying things. Um, but the defense also didn't have as bad a day as it appears from the score, you know, again, seven points on a kickoff return. They didn't have a punter for like most of the second half. So that obviously complicates things. But, um, you know, with this team, you have to exercise the demon of blowing leads. And to do that, you have to be aggressive. Um, like if, if Arthur Smith had gone, had, had thrown the ball three times on that final drive and all three were incomplete, I don't think people would have been as upset. You know, it would have been like, oh, he didn't burn it. And maybe in a weird way, that would have ended up giving the Falcons more time to tie the game <laughs> or, or get a touchdown at the end, you know. So maybe that would have actually been better. But yeah. I just think it, it never pays to be cowardly in this league. Um, it, it's You're going to get burned way, way, way more often than not if you're playing conservative and, you know, playing not to lose as opposed to going for the win. And, you know, everyone's going to talk about the big time the Falcons really should have been conservative and, and decided to be aggressive. But... You know, that, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, we're, we're upset enough. We're not going to rehash that again. I just, so. at the yeah. end of the day, when you t- if you were to tell me uh, Matt Ryan's stats, you know, having four touchdowns and tell me Cordero Patterson did something Julio Jones <laughs> never did, having right. uh, three touchdowns three, in a game. Yeah. Right. I would have said, oh, cool, so the Falcons won. Like, no. Yeah. But, I, yeah. I agree with what you said at the beginning, though, which is that, the Falcons really did actually look like the better team throughout the mm-hmm. game. Um, because against the Giants, they really didn't. I mean, they were they ended up winning at the end, but that game was very much in question. I think the Giants, you know, arguably outplayed the Falcons on offense throughout the game, and the Falcons got some lucky breaks there. But um, this was the first game I thought the Falcons actually looked like the better team pretty much throughout. And uh, that is that is a positive sign, even though it didn't result in a win. Um so that that's something nice to take away. Uh, the offense looked functional too, so that that was nice. Yeah, Cordell Patterson is literal god. Yeah, just <laughs> continuing to be like, wow, like what the hell has been happening in his career up until now? Like, we know the kick return, you know, ability yeah. and stuff, but like he's clearly an offensive playmaker and just hasn't really been that on other teams. Right. Um, I mean, so. Who- just like on that note, it's like, who's the last guy who b- had a breakout season at age 30? Like, That's who's, te- what, who's so- technically a running back? Like, I has know. that ever happened before? <laughs> I, I can't imagine it, anybody. Um, but it is weird to think about, like, how old he is where he's breaking out. And it's like, he's been in the league, you know, for so long. And it's all these missed opportunities where offenses could have used him, Yeah, you know? And they, you know, whatever they tried and it clearly didn't work. But right now he's hitting his stride and, you know, I love it. I think it's great. So Yeah. The Whether the big, Falcons win I mean, or not, it's just cool to see. Exactly. It's fun to watch, which was something this team is dearly missing over the first two games. Mm. This team was just not fun to watch. Um, but, uh, I mean, this game, I think you could rewatch the first three quarters and have a pretty good time. You know, the offense played pretty well. Um we're going to get to some more of this game in just a second. Let me read off a donation here from George Costanza with the $5. George, what's up, man? Thank you so much for your support. Uh, he says, the Falcons ripped me off again. Don't know 
why I keep asking them to break a dollar for me because every time I do, they only give me three quarters. <laughs> I swear, I think the Falcons get the play calling in the fourth quarter from Coach Klein and the Water Boy. <laughs> Great football movie, by the way, the Water Boy. But uh, yeah, I mean, hundred percent agree with you, George. It's uh, I think I think it's I to me it kind of boils down down to that. Smith isn't ready to sort of let the offense off the hook yet. Like it, it's sort of still training wheels time and he's like, okay, I don't trust these guys to go out and hit these big plays or, or, you know, get this first down. Like we're just going to try to, you know, protect the ball here. Um, I'm hoping he'll grow out of it. A lot of coaches do improve at the situational stuff. Some never improve. So, you know, we'll just have to hope that Smith is one of the guys that's willing to improve. Uh, but we do know Smith is big on analytics and all that stuff. And, and, and I think that, you know, going forward, that sort of thing will, will play more into his decision making. Also joining us now, we have we have Will McFadden joining us. Will, how are you doing tonight? Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry I'm a little bit late, but uh, <laughs> we haven't gotten too far into everything uh without me <laughs> no no we left a nice you know juicy uh opportunity for you to talk about this game because we were about to get you know too depressed so this is perfect timing actually for you to come in and deliver some takes about uh the falcons week four loss to the washington oh, no. football team yeah oh no you're trying to send me into a uh, downward spiral again <laughs> yep it's your turn um, now yeah <laughs> i mean it's so i like after the game, as I'm sure a lot of people were, I tweeted out, you know, I felt, I think I felt worse after this loss than I did at any point last year. And obviously a lot of people pushed back with the Cowboys game was worse, which <laughs> is probably objectively true. I mean, in, in terms, I think of the context of just four quarters of football, remove narratives, any whatever, like that may be one of the worst losses in franchise history was that Cowboys game. Um, so point to everybody else on the internet you probably got me there <laughs> yeah but yeah these are my feelings i'm allowed to feel them and it's because it was it's the same thing right and it it is never in a, a good place to be where you start to sit in there and say well was it actually coaching you know did they address the right and coming away from that game i just couldn't help but think Maybe it's the players, you know, maybe it's the key guys that the, when we talk about this roster and we talk about, well, they've got some top level talent and the depth is really the issue and any injuries to whatever positions, things could get really dicey for this team. But what if even those like on paper talented guys just don't have that clutch gene or just don't have the ability to stay totally locked in for 60 minutes. And cause that's what we've seen with this team, right? Other good teams, they get on a roll. It's a snowball effect. And mm -hmm. you know, you see a team like Buffalo beat Houston 40 to nothing. That's what the Falcons used to be when things were rolling. When, especially I think back to the early part of Matt Ryan's run that 2008 to kind of 2012 stretch, those teams got on teams early and never let up and out and kept on tough games. And I believe that Arthur Smith wants to get back to that style of, of football, which is why I think Sunday was so disappointing for me is because you had everything going. I thought that first drive offensively was as pretty as anything that I've seen from this team at all this season. I know it only ended in a field goal because of a penalty that set them back when they were, you know, deep in, in Washington territory, but they came out of the huddle for that very first play sharp. They were, they kind of broke the huddle quickly, got up to the line, got set, got going and got into their first scripted plays. 
and I thought it was beautiful and I really liked the tone that it set. You just saw the confidence and the and the momentum go all over the place over the span of 60 minutes. I mean, coming out of halftime and letting a, a kickoff return for a touchdown, <laughs> what is that? And so yeah. that was one of those where it was kind of like, man, the more things change, the more things stay the same and you are continue to be left scratching your head um, as to why that happened. Now with a little bit of distance, obviously, you know, you, I think more of the big picture, some of the positives, Matt Ryan played much better uh, as well as he's played all season. And, and that's going to be really important because any chance this team has begins and ends there. Uh, Corderell Patterson, obviously continues the best player in the NFL, which is a really good thing. Uh, Grady Jarrett made another play. Dante Fowler continues to be frisky. Like there were really good things to take away. AJ Terrell, PFF like gave him a huge, a really, really high grade. I, I know yeah, Evan, yeah, you, yeah. you do all that stuff Monday morning, but I was really um, happy to see him up there. Chris Lindstrom mm-hmm. is yeah. just top five NFL really, guard. Top yes, five. Very yeah. under the radar, but is ascending. Like we all thought kind of he would. And now, now this is the standard, right? This is the send. Now you hold him to that standard. Yeah. And that's, I think as a fan base where we can help this team and, and really kind of help our own expectations is okay. We know what a good guard looks like. It's Chris Lindstrom. Watch Chris Lindstrom. That's what's expected, not only of him, but now you look at Jalen Mayfield. Now you look at Josh Andrews, if he comes back in the mix, you know that needs to be set. Same thing with Caleb McGarry and Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews is kind of the standard at left tackle. He's been great throughout his career here. Caleb McGarry, that's the standard play there. So we need to hold these guys accountable, just like the coaching staff will. Yeah. Um, but a lot of under the radar kind of steps for should be positives. They just need to figure out a way to win these damn games, dude. <laughs> the the classic <laughs> Falcons dilemma. You know, you could do everything. Well, it's interesting because last year it was like the Falcons were just outplaying teams every week and then just blowing it at the end, uh, which was right. extremely frustrating, obviously. This year it's been different. Like it's been they they got pretty much outplayed thoroughly in the first two weeks. Um, on the en route to those sort of blowout losses. But against the Giants, I would argue that the Giants maybe were the better team in that game and the Falcons squeaked away with one there, but you know, I think that's up for debate. But in this game against Washington, I think the Falcons actually looked like the better team for the vast yeah. majority of the game. And that was the first time all, all season I felt that. So this is a team that is, we are seeing incremental improvement every week. Um, and I think that's big. You know, if that can, conti- if you get 10% better every week, by the time they get to week 17, this team could actually be pretty good. Um, but <laughs> The thing about, you know, the 17 games is it does give you a little bit extra leeway. A little bit. Just a little bit. But all the stats that we look at in terms of one and three starts are based on a 16-game season. We have a 17-game season now. It means you maybe have slightly more leeway to, to be frisky. And the Falcons have a little bit of leeway. You know, one and three is not a death sentence, but they're going to have to start, you know, the turnaround immediately. Uh, and it's going to have to, you know, we're going to have to win against the Jets, you know, the, the 0 and 4 team, like, or well, uh, not 0 and 4 anymore. They're 1 and 3, you know, beating, beating the, the Titans. So good on the Jets there. But, um, you know, the Falcons have to win this game, basically, um, if we want to entertain any thoughts of, of a sort of second half surge, um, even though only four games are in the belt. But I, you brought up the offensive line, and that's definitely someplace I want to dedicate some time to because huge liability to start the season. Week one and week two, big, big problems. Week three, not a problem at all. They were great. This week, a little bit more back towards the average to below average mark, but Washington may be the best like, front four in all of football. You know, that 
starting four of Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. I mean, that is an elite group. Um, and they, they held up, I thought. I mean, it wasn't a great performance against them, but it certainly wasn't Matt Ryan running for his life. I mean, they were carving up Washington. Um, so what did you think about the offensive line's performance overall, Will? I mean, I know obviously Chris Lindstrom's having a tremendous season. He's pretty much been great every game. But what about, you know, Mayfield, PFF kind of buried him. I didn't think he was that bad in this one. What, what did you think about that? Yeah, that was that was surprising. I mean, obviously, um, one thing that's worrying is we're starting to see a little bit of a tendency to get some penalties with, mm-hmm. with Jalen, which understandable with a, with a young guy, especially kind of moving to a little bit of a different position, um, being now in the interior. I'm sure that there's different angles that, that the refs are kind of now starting to see in his game. Maybe he learned to get away with something when he was on the edge and he a little bit of an inside hand or something like that. He's not being able to get away with that. So from, from a Jalen Mayfield standpoint, that's probably to me more concerning because overall I think he's bounced back splendidly from uh, his just, I mean, I couldn't imagine uh, a career start at like, if that was me, I would have just crumbled into. Oh yeah. Yeah. A, like a, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. And Credit to him, man. He got right back out there. They asked him to get back on the horse, bounce back in a big way. And so far, I mean, I didn't think he was ability in any way, shape, or form on Sunday to the extent that he was in week one. So it was interesting that he got kind of a similar grade from PFF. And, and that's where I, you know, we all rely, I think, a lot on PFF and they do a, a fantastic job. But I'm starting now to challenge myself a little bit to. Yeah go against the grain on that. Cause I'm, I'm starting to sense that the football community as a whole is getting a little bit of a group think when it comes to a guy's PFF grade determines what we all think about him. And I don't necessarily know if I'm ready for that to be the case. Right. Um, right. so I'm, I am trying to trust what my eyes tell me and, and my eyes tell me that Jalen Mayfield didn't have a great game on Sunday, but he didn't have the worst game in the world. And I think you could say that pretty much the, the, most of the offensive line on Sunday. I mean, Matt Ryan only really got sacked once. He wasn't under pressure um, a ton, and they were able to, I mean, think about, I know they didn't complete a lot of these, but they were able to take a lot of deep shots on Sunday. They were able to push the ball down the field to an extent that we had not yet seen so far this season. And to do that, you've got to be able to to give Matt a little bit of time, and I thought they did. It's actually weirdly kind of the run blocking um that I think is getting there, but it's kind of coming in fits and starts because there are drives where this team looks so good running the football and you're getting seven yards and you're turning back around and, and picking up five yards and then breaking it off for 12 yards. And it's kind of like, man, they're getting everything they want right now on the ground. And then you get moments in a game where they can't get a push or you're, you're seeing a lot of these, these gaps are open for a second and then closed because somebody didn't maintain their block. So that's where I think, the offensive line is is improving. I mean, they're certainly, I think, much better than anything we've come to expect over the past few years, right? I don't think they're the liability that they have been in previous seasons. Right. To me now, it's, all right, how much better can they get and how quickly? Because if they, let's say they turn over, uh, over the bye week, turn into a unit that isn't now just kind of, can they be maybe not a weakness? If they can... S- turn into a little bit of a, a strength, not a big strength, but just, okay, we trust our offensive line to open up holes, give Matt time to really expand our playbook. That could go a long way into making this team uh, a little bit friskier um, after the bye week. 
Yeah, and it's it's been weird because I think the run blocking has been good on the whole, but it's it just seems like every time Mike Davis gets back there, he's getting tackled in the yeah. backfield. And it's like it's uh, hard to say like that's Mike Davis's fault, but like he's had fifty carries now, he's only he's in the threes, you know, languishing in the mid to low threes now in terms of yards per carry, and that's obviously not great numbers for him. Um but it's like he can't do anything about getting tackled in the backfield. It's not his fault. So it's like how much of it is really just a bad luck thing versus the, the, the blocking scheme maybe isn't somehow as good for him as it is for, for Patterson. But it's just like, it's hard to argue, you know, Patterson's averaging 4.4 yards per carry, which isn't great, but pretty good. Gallman has only had six carries this year. So obviously too small a sample size to draw anything had 4.8 Davis against Washington just one yard per carry on 13 carries it's it's so it's starting to be it's starting to make me question you know it I don't fully understand why and just watching the games it looks like oh the the offensive line's not opening holes for Mike Davis but we're getting to the point now 50 plus carries where it can't just be only bad luck with Mike Davis so what what are you sort of thinking about how the Falcons are divvying out carries do you want to keep seeing if maybe Davis can take off here going forward or is it time to maybe shift more of the workload to Patterson and possibly Wayne Gallman um I I mean I think that it's clear based on what Arthur Smith has said in his press conferences recently that that they trust Mike Davis. I mean, again, Corderell Patterson is, he's a running back, but he's a newly transitioned um, running back. And so I think that they view Mike Davis as the quote unquote professional running back in this group. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why we saw him get the the late carries in the game. Um, I think it's why I, th- he's got probably a pretty high floor in yeah. terms of yeah. his usage in this offense. Like, I think he's always going to have a role unless you know, I say that if this continues for three more games, then sure, obviously they're probably going to look at, at something different, but I think they're going to give him every opportunity to get it going because I, I do think that they are seeing it's not, if it was just the running back, I think we would know that by now. And I think that it would be reflected on the rotation, the usage, the usage, everything like that. But the fact that they're continuing to, go with Mike Davis a lot, even with the discrepancy to me points more to the offensive line. And it's something that's not clicking, whether it be between Mike Davis and the offensive line, um, or just the offensive line is, is not getting, they're not getting good blocks for Mike Davis and they happen to be for Corderell. But another thing that, that I've noticed when Corderell is in there versus when Mike is in there is I do think that Mike tends to stick to the track a little bit longer and is, is kind of really looking to, go to where the play is designed to go and attack that hole. And then maybe at the last second, look for, for another out or something, because more often than not, the big runs that Mike this season have really come when he's hit that hole hard and broken through to the next level. And then, you know, maybe made another guy miss or not. Corderell really, I don't (laughs) think sticks to his running track. He freelances a bit, I think. Yeah. Right. Which is understandable as a kick returner. Those are your instincts. You're, you're just looking for the open space. And so I think that that's maybe where, if the offensive line wasn't getting the best blocks in the world, maybe it is more advantageous for um, Patterson in that situation as opposed to Mike Davis, because I think Mike is more willing to sit in there and like it would be like a quarterback. Mike Davis would be a pocket passer. He wants to work from within the pocket, the confines of the play. Corderell is, is, you know, Lamar, Kyler Murray or whoever, and and is probably a little more uh, likely to just, 
get out, freelance, see what he can do and and make something happen. So if the if the run blocking gets right, I trust Mike Davis to really take advantage of that. But uh, let's get Corderell uh, some more touches at least. I mean, it's it's hard to <laughs> yeah. He, he got six targets and six carries. So, but that's only only had eleven touches because he only caught five of those. So if we right. bump that up to fifteen or sixteen, yeah, I think it's knows? clear that he deserves at least an equal share of the of the running game at this point. Um, but. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I mean, I agree with you. I think with the run blocking being as hit or miss as it is, Corderell's probably better equipped to sort of make it work. <laughs> yeah. Due to, due to his ability as an open field guy. He's used to just sort of seeing everything happening and just kind of hitting it and just like, okay, I'm just going to go here, whatever. He's also massive. <laughs> he's also just a massive human being. So he, he, he's been running through contact really well. Um, and like he's had contact in the backfield and at the line of scrimmage and he just sort of gets through there and ha- almost in a Derrick Henry esque way, not obviously that physical, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, he's a bigger running back. He, he is such an, uh, a comfortable open field guy. Maybe he's just been a little bit better at sort of sorting through the uh, the riffraff, as it were, as opposed to Davis, which it makes sense that they would say they trust him to follow the play more because he is a more patient uh, sort of running back. So, you know, hopefully both can end up being more more consistently productive and, and, and better overall. But Evan, I wanted to get your take on that running back situation, too. Are you still trying to sort of give most of the work to Mike Davis or are you hoping for more Patterson or Gallman or where are you at on that group? I mean, I I kind of like the usage how it's been. Um, I don't want to overload. I mean, Patterson's been, you know, PFF's had him ranked. I believe he's the second um, highest yeah. running back currently. Um, but I think he's in the perfect usage situation, and clearly it's not going to limit him from scoring um, no. <laughs> after having three touchdowns. Um, so I don't know if increasing his load to, like, full-time back where he's getting majority of the carries is going to – you know, completely shake things up. Um, Davis is, it is kind of odd how he, you know, he's been used overall. Um, I was looking at, you know, on PFF, the grades or whatever, you know, never take the grades as like the, you know, most accurate thing in the world. But the one thing I do like with PFF is they break down a lot of the stats. Um, so just like yards per contact per attempt, um, Cordero Patterson's is higher, like 3.19, um, after contact while Davis is at 2.73. Um, so it's not the contact things, not even really being backed up there. 
Um, but, you know, I, I did think in the limited carries we saw Gallman, he looked explosive. He did. Um, he looked so good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe factor him in. But the one thing, you know, that kind of makes me nervous about when you have three kind of like 1A, you know, you have all these th- three different running backs is some running backs need to kind of get those carries to kind of get warmed up where they can't just come in and have three carries and be explosive. Like they got to keep grinding and then boom. I mean, you see it with Derrick Henry and I'm not comparing Mike Davis to Derrick Henry at all, but he'll start off rough some games and then he, he just keeps grinding and grinding and, you know, he gets better almost like the Hulk as it goes on. Yeah. Um, So I kind of would hate to see Davis get like six carries. I think if you give him like, less than 10 carries a game, he's going to be absolutely useless because he's that kind of running back that needs to grind more than, you know, here's a couple carries where Patterson, I think he's the type where you could give him 10, you know, yeah. less than 10, and he's still going to make something of it um, just because he's that, been that explosive. So overall, to answer your question, I, I mean, I, th- I think it's the running game, like usage has been good. Um, I probably wouldn't tamper with it too much. I think it's just how it's been used overall is kind of the issue, like timing wise. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, not yeah, to dive I back agree. into the last game, but just kind of uh-huh. like, oh, let's bring Davis out. Why? Patterson is literally the hot hand. Like you never touch, you know, take away the hot hand, and they did that. Yeah. So just such a dom. I mean, he's been so dominant as a receiver too. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's absurd. Like on that on one of those touchdowns, he lined up as just a receiver. Like he didn't even bother with coming out of the backfield. He was just a receiver and scored a touchdown. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's wild to me um, that we are in, I mean, we're in the presence of like an all-time great season for, for Cordell Patterson here. Um, and, you know, Evan and I were talking about before the show, but it's so rare to see a running back, at least, you know, positionally called running back, break out in his age 30 season. It's usually like the opposite, right? It's like, oh, you're 30, time to pack it in. Cordell Patterson's like, nah, dude, I'm just getting started. Like, this this is my coming out party. So, uh, obviously happy for him. He's such a fun player to watch. He's always been a special athlete, but um, to, to see him finally get his due on offense, um, you know, it never really happened for Devin Hester. I mean, we, we saw Hester come to Atlanta, have a little bit of a role, but never consistently. You know, he did make some plays here. But I was cool. I was going to bring that up actually. Yeah, yeah, go like, for it. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that comparison because I I mean Matt like Matt Ryan now has a little bit of a proven history of getting the yeah. most out of guys who elsewhere had been experimented with, but it never really panned out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Devin Hester had they had flirted with the idea of of letting him be a, a wide receiver in Chicago, but ultimately kind of weren't willing to go down that road. And I think that was part of the reason, if I remember correctly, he wanted out of Chicago was because he wanted to be a uh, able to play more football and be able to play on offense. And so Atlanta gave him that shot and, you know, Matt turned him into at least a semi productive receiver down. I mean, was he, he was probably like Justin Hardy equivalent, yeah. um, which yeah. is not nothing for a dude who's right, only right. been returning the ball. And, and we're kind of seeing that now with um, Corderell, but I think, you know, that the yards after contact, stat that you brought up evan is really interesting to me because i almost feel like it's it's a stat that backs up what your eyes tell because doesn't mm-hmm. it just seem like when when Corderell gets the ball in the backfield he just is moving like faster harder yeah. like mm-hmm. just, i hate yeah. the cliche of like they're running harder because that's impossible <laughs> to really just tell with it is vision like you, you we don't actually know who's running harder or not but it certainly looks running with like reckless abandon yeah playing red over and you're trying to just break through the line and you're running as hard as you can you don't care if you're going to get clotheslined like you're going to break that's just the way it seems like he's running with the ball in his hands mm-hmm. so 
that's an interesting stat that that he has kind of more yards after contact because yeah. you would think Mike Davis like balance. He's got those massive legs. He can just drive over defenders and break through tackles. And it's no nah, man. It's the it's the dude who's running with his hair on fire. That, <laughs> yeah. For me, for me this season. I mean, obviously, I I'll admit to it. I didn't expect Patterson to kind of have this no. level of success. If anyone did, I mean, people yeah. did. Yeah, but. For me, it's been the way he's been used. It hasn't been I, – I expected it to be more, like, trickery. But they've mm-hmm. literally used him as, like, hey, he's the running back. Yeah. And, and it's worked, like, several yeah. times, whether it's out of shotgun or just, you know, traditional form runs. Like, it's – I mean, I think it's it's certainly something I haven't seen in a while, as you mentioned, no. Kevin, like a 30-year-old running back just coming in and being, you know, your best runner. Like, I mean, it, it just seems like like Matt Ryan just completely trusts him. He trusts him more than mm-hmm. any other receiver not named Calvin Ridley. Like he just <laughs> he just tosses the ball up to him. Like he, the, Matt Ryan's been with this guy for the same amount of time as he has Kyle Pitts, but he's much more willing to chuck it to 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 Quarrel Patterson. And I think that really Patterson deserves some props for building that chemistry so quickly. And, and I mean, he's not dropping passes. He's he's catching these circus catches. He's he's doing all these things. That, <laughs> he lost a dude. Yeah, he did. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like we've seen him return kicks and get and catching kicks is, in my opinion, I think a lot harder than people realize, especially you know on kickoffs. Um, and he, you know, he doesn't botch kicks, so that would lead you to believe that he has great hands. But he was just never really used much as a receiver, other than his rookie season. Um, Obviously, he's a running back here, but they're using him as a receiver out of the backfield all the time. He just looks so comfortable now. And it's like you, you have Dave Ragone, the Bears uh, offensive coordinator, coming here to be Atlanta's, you know, nominal offensive coordinator. Uh, and, like, to be honest, like, Patterson wasn't used all that effectively by the Bears over the past two seasons. They gave him a lot of carries. The, the consistency wasn't there. I mean, I broke it down a lot in my uh, film review of Patterson that – you know, the Bears sort of used him like a hammer up the middle. Um, it just didn't really result in a lot of positive plays. Certainly there were flashes of what he could be, and he did make, you know, plays, but not nearly consistently enough that you would sort of make him a featured part of your game. But it seems like maybe Ragone was like, oh, yeah, we were like setting the ground, like laying the groundwork for his transition to running back, getting him used to to reading the backfield, reading blocks, and, and doing all that stuff. Finally now... In Atlanta in 2021, Patterson's actually ready to go. He's like, okay, I'm totally comfortable now at running back. And now we're seeing all of that work that Ragone did in Chicago pay off. And, um, you know, if so, like, bravo to Ragone and to Cordero Patterson for putting in all that work for all those years and then, you know, letting the Falcons benefit from it because uh, the Bears didn't really. So, <laughs> If I can add one more thing, just I was looking at the PFF um, numbers that I found very interesting. So when um, – when Patterson Patterson this year so far, he's had 235 receiving yards. Only 51 of that has been a wide receiver's route, like actually running a route. The rest of it has been coming out of the backfield or running yep. out wide or whatever. Yep. Like only 51 has been as a actual receiver. So he's clearly like a threat out of the backfield. That's why I thought it was so puzzling just to like yank him from the game you know, on Sunday. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, yeah. it's his, his yards after the catch are almost like as great as his total yards accumulated. Mm-hmm. Like all of that, which speaks exactly to your point. It's he's catching these balls behind the line of scrimmage yeah. and he's making plays. Um, and I, I've noticed um, watching the, I think the Cowboys did it in their game against the Eagles. I've seen a couple of other teams do it as well, but it's 
a traditional kind of running back full screen out of the backfield. But for, for whatever reason, this one looks different where the running back is instead of kind of catching it as they're getting right back to the line of scrimmage um, and, the, and the quarterback's just kind of floating it over to him. These guys are catching it like three, four yards down the field. And however route combination they've, they've got it, they've like vacated that whole area. And the quarterback kind of puts it on a rope right at the, at the running back. And so he's basically catching it in stride with three, four yards of space right in front of him and kind of already going downhill. That's exactly how Cordell should be used. Yeah. I mean, whatever <laughs> play that is, they need to add that to the playbook because you get this guy, the ball, four yards down the field with a full head of steam. That's right. He's basically returning a kickoff. Because what you're saying is it's given a momentum instead of like, okay, yeah. now take off running after you've caught it. Right. You know. Yep. 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 So yeah. I, I mean, I may be making all of that up, but if I am, I don't think so. that. <laughs> no. And it's like, honestly, Arthur Smith's offense loves to get yards after catch. You know, he, he yeah. runs a lot of intermediate and short stuff um, to set up, you know, deep shots. And again, week four, those were the first time we really saw effective usage of the deep ball. Uh, you know, you can't get any more open than he was on that play. But um, yeah, I just, I, I love the usage and he's such an assassin in the open field. I mean, it, 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 I just don't understand why this wasn't figured out before now, but he looks completely natural. He catches the ball. He runs through contact. He jukes guys out of their shoes. He's too, he's like six three two thirty. It's just so, it, <laughs> you get a guy at six three two thirty and as athletic as he is, if this guy was drafted into the league today, he would be like a first or second round pick, you know, RB1 for some team. Like, oh, we got the next Derrick Henry. But for some reason, Coral Patterson just languished as this special teams only guy with this minor role for basically his entire career until now. And it's like now he's finally getting appreciated. So hats off to you, Patterson. Hats off to the Falcons coaching staff for getting to use him, using him correctly and, and you know, helping him show that, like, he, he probably could have done this all along, you know, if, if someone... You know, and I, I'm sure he's grown over the course of his time in the NFL too. But um, just a very impressive performance there. Um, all right, let me read off a couple of donations here before we sort of switch gears, move more towards next week's game. We got another five dollars from George Costanza. George, thank you so much. All right, he's talking about the Carolina trades. Carolina has traded for C.J. Henderson now and Stefan Gilmore, uh, just a sixth rounder for Gilmore. Are we sure Dimitrov was the problem? Uh, why won't we be aggressive for established talent? And I, the reason is the salary cap. Uh, it's. Yep. I mean, I also do believe that this team is kind of taken the tact that I, I really don't think they're willing to give up future picks for players. But, but Kevin, right also, now. also, yeah. all of this aside, what is what does Stefan Gilmore do to this team? Like what this team's not going he anywhere. Takes us with from him you know yeah Stephon like twenty uh, second to seventeenth in past defense. Maybe, I, uh, but I don't think it's that, worth and it that's, yet. <laughs> right. So yeah. even it, salary cap, you're right, is the reason. That is the number yes. one reason because you trade, you're taking on that entire salary. You, have, you don't even really have a chance to negotiate any type of new deal with him. You're just taking on the contract that was previously on the books. And so for that reason alone, they literally couldn't do that without mortgaging the future. And again, Stefan, now or in two, three years, that's that's not a piece that, that puts you over the top. Get your foundation first. Like, Look at what the Rams did. They had their corn place. Then they went and added to Jalen Ramsey. Then they went and picked up, you know, all these other pieces left and right to go fill the specific needs they had. But you don't build it, you know, the other way around where you just yeah. go cherry pick the best players and then try and fill in the other holes. Like that's kind of how we got here. Exactly. Plus, I, like, I'm, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say I'm probably completely making this up, but so it's all speculation. 
But, you know, before he got traded, he had a nice, you know, going away message on Twitter. Um, He was clearly like respected by the Patriots and he happened to go to a team that's winning and also is literally like, I think Eric said like 10 minutes from his hometown. Yeah. Like he probably had a say in where he wanted to go. And if they were like, Hey, you want to go to Carolina or Atlanta? He probably would have chose Carolina, but they probably would have had to offer something much better than a, what was it? Six round 2023 pick. So maybe. Yeah. And again, people get caught up on the draft compensation. It was basically nothing. And that should tell you everything you need to know. There were no serious offers out there in terms of people wanting to trade for Gilmore. Um, not because of his talent, but because of his contract. I mean, you're probably picking up, I think it was like six or seven million uh, this year by trading for him instead of, you know, signing him after he was cut. Um, so the Panthers traded a future sixth. So it's not about the draft compensation. It's not. Um, it's about they could take on the money. They had the money to spend and they're having a great start to their season. They're like, all right, it, worst kit. Yeah. And, and if oh. you have the cap, you have mm-hmm. the flexibility to do that. The Falcons do not have the cap. Period. And just to yeah, just to toot uh, Will's horn a little, he's been saying it all along that Carolina's like a contender and probably like going to be a lot better than their record even shows now, which is crazy to think um, without Christian McCaffrey and everything. So they're trying to win now, and that's a move yes. that is yep. only going to help them going forward. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is yeah. they're they're a year ahead of schedule. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that everybody, the expectation from what I've heard internally and kind of public perception was three years into this is when they really were going to hit the the ground run. The best feeling in the world is to be a year ahead of schedule. And that's where they find themselves. And David Tepper, we know as an owner wants to be aggressive. He wants to win now. So I can 100% see a reality where boom, they've started off the season three and oh, people are starting to talk about them. They're getting excited. The defense is playing really well. The offense, you know, even without McCaffrey, you're winning some games. Sam Darnold looks really good. I mean, he's is he the best running back in the NFL? Who knows? Um, but you're, everything's kind of just clicking for you now. You want to keep this going. You're buyers at the deadline, right, for a baseball metaphor there. But, they, yeah, they and then when you get injuries to your first-round pick at corner, you want to keep your strength so far as strength. And that's why I think they went out and added C.J. Henderson and they added Stephon. Yeah. Yeah. Gilmore, both guys I really like. I mean, CJ Henderson, right. I, think I like a good his potential. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he yeah. hasn't played particularly well, but I mean, I was all in on him as a top 10 pick. So, like, I think he can get there. And I think that he had the stink on him from Jacksonville. And I think that has a lot to do with a lot of players struggling there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think bottom line, too, the Falcons have had ample opportunity to trade little in terms of resources. I mean, obviously, Henderson would have taken a third, which is a pretty significant draft resource to give up, but the Falcons don't seem to be willing to trade away future picks right now. They haven't done it at all, except for Lee Smith, which was like a seventh. So sevens don't really count. Uh, <laughs> sevens <laughs> don't count. They're, they don't count at all. You could do whatever you want with the sevens. I don't, I don't care. It helps us. It's, it shortens our night. It shortens our night on draft night. If you get rid of the sevens. So, um, so they just seem to have made a sort of conscious decision to not be willing to trade away draft assets for 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 players this year. That could change next year. Um, but I, I think this is a team that's really focused on 22 and 23. And I think 23 is, is the year they're focusing on really being competitive in, whether that's with Matt Ryan or, or a rookie. Um, and the way they've constructed the roster this year, I think, supports that. You know, a lot of one-year deals. So you're hopefully cashing in comp picks in 2023 from some of these players getting signed elsewhere but um 
I just I wouldn't get too hung up on on the Falcons not trading for Henderson or Gilmore. They're they're not in the position where you sort of give up premium resources for Henderson or significant cap space for Gilmore. I don't think those players really move the needle for this team this year. I, I think even with those guys, they're they're just a hair over 500. You know, maybe they get lucky and get and sneak into the playoffs with like 10 wins, but I still think that's we're we're you know going to be working to get to that point even at this 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 point in the season. So, um, just just keep in mind where this team is. They're in year one of of I think a three year plan, um, and I think next year if if all goes well, we could see a Panthers esque season you know a, a strong start the team being better than than we think they, they should be um but this year they're going to be limited and the way they've constructed the team the aforementioned you know not, unwillingness to sort of mortgage the future to to improve the roster this year um they got a lot of cap trouble to clean up it's going to take yep. two years to really do it um 2023 is when they're probably going to have their actual freedom to actually go out and sign guys um so just keep that in mind when you're evaluating these moves. It's it's mostly cap. Like to be completely honest, they couldn't even have afforded CJ Henderson's base salary. It's right. 1.5 yep. million. Um, it's yep. not a lot, but they didn't have it, so they would have had to restructure deals to make that work. Um, I just uh, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> the the way well, I, I like the I like the you compared Carolina there because the like the same way I mentioned Carolina had had a plan. You know, they had an expectation for where they would be and when. Guys, I, I have to believe Atlanta has the has a similar type yeah. plan in place internally, even if they're not saying it externally. And what they're doing now is they're reshuffling the deck. I mean, financially. And the way to do that is you got to wait for some of these contracts that are really big contracts and, and kind of you will get off the books one way or the other over the next couple of years. But you can't until then. And you're, you're just fi- too financially strapped. But what you can try to do is infuse a lot of cheaper younger talent into this roster in the meantime so that when you do get all those contracts off the book books and you do have a little bit more salary cap space to pick and choose you know how you want to build this team hopefully you've got two or three years of quality draft picks and and a draft class in there that really allows you to be smart with invest that capital position wise and you fill the holes with free agents instead of with draft picks because you know those are proven commodities, even if that means trading draft picks, yeah. you're just not there yet because you need those cheap young contracts. You need to be able to hit on these picks to find younger guys because that's where the biggest value is in the NFL. And right now the Falcons are just completely ass backwards in terms of yeah. the value proposition. It's of very their... bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's very bad. 100% so th- that's, that's yeah. I think, the the approach there. Just yeah. don't, you're not mortgaging the future right now because right now is kind of the price you're paying in order to have a brighter future. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to clean up, you know, it's, it's, it's something that my wife tells me, you got to do the stuff you don't want to do before the stuff you do want to do. Uh, you got to do the hard <laughs> stuff first, then you get to the fun stuff. But Kevin, right now we're in the hard stuff. Yeah. That's just not fair. <laughs> well, you know, it's not fun, but uh, <laughs> it is necessary sometimes. And they, they got a lot of mess to clean up here in Atlanta. Um, all right. From Corey Carter, we got another $5. Corey, thank you so much for your support, man. Uh, he says, I think Matt Ryan should be allowed to call more of the offense from the field. Uh, it looks like he may have regressed some physically, uh, so we should use his experience as a veteran as a great way to offset the loss of physical tools. I think his arm range now is about 45 yards. I mean, yeah, it's clear Matt Ryan's Matt Ryan's deep ball is never, like, great. Uh, it's clear that it's it's limited now. I don't think it's, like, Drew Brees last year limited, but, um, you know, it it, it is, like... Uh, 
not a strength of his anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that the offense just this last week, I think finally sort of had the training wheels taken off. Um, and I think we will see more and more control being given to Ryan as he gets more comfortable, but early on in the process, it's going to be less of that. Um, and hopefully he gets there sooner rather than later, but it's just hard to say right now. Um, all right, guys, before we move on to the Jets game, I want to remind you to please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Both of those metrics really help us out. Uh, you can check out the community Discord server. The link is right there. Uh, it's also in the uh, the show description. Uh, that's that's a lot of fun, uh, especially on game days. So you can go in there for some community Falcons discussion. Check out our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Live. If you're interested in supporting the show, unlocking some exclusive perks. Our next Patreon perk is officially, I promise, double pinky swear. The Q&A is happening this Friday. No more delays, no more problems. Um, that is going to be Friday, I believe, at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to have Dave Choate on there, as well as potentially some other special guests as well. So patrons, please do uh, join us for that. If you're so inclined, uh, you can send us your questions on Patreon if you're not going to make it. And if you're interested in attending, like I said, you have uh, you can sign up anytime all the way up until we go live, even during the show if you want to at patreon.com slash live. Thank you all so much for your support, including everyone just hanging out and chatting. Uh, we really appreciate everyone for, for hanging out with us tonight. All right. So... Jolly old London approacheth in week five. Uh, the Falcons definitely got hosed by this game. Um, as much as I love London, I don't love it enough to give up a home game, especially in a year when we only had eight, eight home games to begin with. The Falcons really only have seven this year as a result. Um, fortunately, probably the easiest opponent on the schedule, the Jets looked totally hopeless until this last week where they actually put on a pretty good performance against the Titans. Notably, Titans missing A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Uh, you know, so not the full-strength Titans by any means. The Jets were able to take it to overtime and end up winning that one. But uh, still an opponent that you think the Falcons should be able to take advantage of. Evan, how are you feeling about this one going into uh, Sunday? I have no expectations, to be honest. <laughs> um, I never know what to expect from this team. Um I am not looking forward to waking up early on a Sunday to watch this game. So hopefully they are at least competitive. Um, I don't know. I, I I honestly have no idea what to expect. Um, <laughs> the Jets, you know, they're not great. I, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't look too much into the Tennessee game, just as you mentioned, because Julio Jones, A.J. Brown weren't there. Um, but, yeah, I mean – the, I know the Jets, for one, have one of the worst run defenses. So I yeah. think if there's a Mike Davis, like, I don't want to say get right game, but like a game where he's able to thrive, I think this is it, um, where it's strictly just pounding the ball over and over and over. Um, but, you know, London's weird stuff, you know. Oh, it, it seems like London games never go according to script. So no, no. I don't really have any strong expectations. Maybe Will does, but... Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to waking up early. <laughs> yeah, they're going to make us awaken us from our our Sunday slumber early for this one. Will, how are you feeling about this one? I mean, if there's not a team that you sh- can feel confident against <laughs> on this schedule, th- like if it's not the Jets, then who the this hell is, is it? it? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. So you gotta. If I'm gonna cash in my one confidence chip this season, it's it's going to be for Sunday. Now, yeah, it scares me that 
it's going to be in London at 9.30 Eastern time. And, you know, I the Detroit game's all still in the back of our minds. And just if there is a team that I think is prone to slow starts and looking disoriented and just kind of leaving people scratching their heads as to the pre-snap penalties and the discombobulation, <laughs> the Falcons are probably among the the teams that should be included in that group. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's a a decent chance everything does completely go sideways, but um, Zach Wilson leads the the league with eight interceptions. I have to believe he's going to give the uh, some opportunities on Sunday to, to get their hands on some. Now, whether or not the Falcons come down with those balls uh, still <laughs> remains a big question mark, but you have to believe that'll be an area of emphasis for the defense this week after, you know, a lot of potentially altering interceptions were left on the turf uh on on sunday and i know arthur smith talked about it those opportunities to really kind of seal off the game to leave your mark on it um past atlanta by and they can't allow that to happen so i look for that to be kind of the difference on is i just i trust matt ryan to uh, even though you mentioned the jets run defense is it's 22nd what's interesting though is they're they're 12th in um rushing yards per play so right. that tells me on like a per play basis, they're getting it. But but it also what means to me is that a lot of teams are just <laughs> getting up on the Jets early yeah. and then they are just running just the ball in the second half. Piling it up. And yep. it's just volume as opposed to efficiency. Uh, so that that might be skewed a little bit. But in terms of, of yards allowed per game, they're 13th on defense and passing yards per game, they're 12th. So, I mean, this is it's a defense that statistically is a good bit better than Atlanta's and their defensive line, it, I think is their fourth right now in uh, the most sacks in the league. So this is another really good front that Atlanta's offensive line has to cope with. Quinn and Williams uh, has four sacks. They sacked, uh, I think Tannehill seven times yeah. in this game. So yeah. obviously they're, they're really hot. I mean, heck they almost got all their sacks in one game. Um, so, so maybe that was a flash in the pan, but you know, if if this is if a game is going to go south, it's going to start for the Jets with their defensive line getting a lot of pressure, um, not allowing the run game to get going, and then kind of kind of like what the Giants did. And then you just have to hope on the on the Jets side, Zach Wilson hit a few deep plays against Tennessee. I mean, he he made a lot of stuff happen off script, but it's just his his inability to really take care of the football. I think will be the difference in this game. Um, if it is, I don't know how excited I am then leaving it. For if it really comes down to, boy, it's a good thing Zach Wilson threw that third interception. <laughs> Otherwise, the, the right. Jets were full range with you know the chance to win it. If that's the outcome, uh, I'm going in the bye week. You know, probably just trying to sleep all week and hibernate and just <laughs> reset. Right. Um, but I I like Atlanta in this game because I, I trust I just trust this team a little bit more than than a Jets team that frankly has been so bad for so long. I mean, if you can't beat the Jets, what are we doing here, guys? I yeah. think he's been I think Wilson's been sacked. Um, if not the most, I think he's tied with someone. I don't know if anybody has stats. Yeah, up that on sounds the Jets, about right. I I don't, but yeah. I, I think you're right. I remember about seeing that. a yeah. stat, but like I can't remember the specifics of it. But I think he's been sacked more than anybody in the league or he's tied with um can't remember who it was, but he's tied with somebody for most sacks in the league. So Hopefully we see a strong, you know, pass rush. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's key in this game. And and Zach Wilson's been very mistake prone. Uh, he's been vulnerable to the blitz. And I, I think, 
I think the Falcons' defense is a, is a defense that 16 has 16 sacks. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill oh is now number God. one on the list after the oh, Jets. Okay. Seven times. He's got wow. 16 sacks, though. Wow. So, yeah, that's a lot yep. of sacks. Um, I think the Falcons' defense is a defense that's going to take advantage of matchups, and I think this is a matchup that they actually do. They're well-suited to. Um, yeah. Dean Pease has shown if, if the offensive line is a liability, if the quarterback's not an assassin against the Blitz like Tom Brady. Um they can get pressure by blitzing. They've done it successfully in the games that they could do it. Um, and I, I think this is one of those games where they, they really can sort of unleash the blitz on Wilson and he's not going to be able to make the decisions quickly enough, you know, consistently enough to really punish the Falcons for sending the extra pressure. Um, I think that this is this is just a good, a good place for the Falcons to match up in that way. I think they're going to struggle against teams with good offensive lines, and the Jets are not one of those teams. Um, the Jets <laughs> also can't run the ball. Uh, they're one of the worst run offenses in the league. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Zach Wilson has a future, a bright future in this league, but they've had too many offensive line injuries. That team is just not functional offensively. Um, they had a game performance last week against Tennessee. You know, absolutely good job on them for that one. But uh, the only thing that, that gives me pause is London because London always is in for <laughs> weird games. Um, but I think defensively, the Falcons match up really well for a change. Um, and I think offensively, the Falcons are starting to find their stride. The Jets are, you know, a good defense. Um, but they're, you know, is the, it doesn't matter if the offense is going to turn the ball over. And I think this is probably where the Falcons get their first interception. Um, they've had their hands on so many. That's just abysmal the, luck. Uh, it's just so bad. The Falcons and the Jets so, are the, the two teams with no interceptions so far this season. I think one of these teams will come away with an hit. <laughs> maybe I both. Think that's, yeah, maybe both. But hopefully just the Falcons get that. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as they don't give up a freaking kick return touchdown, I think we'll be okay in this one. But... Yeah, <laughs> I, I okay. do like the fact that um, Atlanta is coming off of, of a loss that they should have won and New York is, is coming off of a win. I, I do. I do like that a little bit like psychological edge for Atlanta there. Yeah, that would be good um, because I think if you lose to the Jets, your season is only going one way. If you win to the Jets, there's like a slight hope that your season could be going, you know, one of two ways still. Uh, if you lose to the Jets. Oh, gosh. I don't even want to uh, see fans on Twitter. There's just going to be, like, no articles about the <laughs> alcoholic next so week. It'll bad. just be, like, a, a waste of, like, the Falcons are bad. That's it. We just leave that as, like, the headliner. It'll the be a live week. stream of Dave in his house crying. Yeah, just just <laughs> Dave making ghost pepper hot sauce. That's that's the content for next week. So, <laughs> Well, but, yeah. at least we get to see the uh, gradient uniforms. Yeah. Right? Hey, the gradients are hot. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. They've grown on me. When yeah. they first came out, I was a little like, Ugh. they're not bad in person. Yeah, no, they look a lot. They looked a lot better on TV than I think a lot of people thought. Um, I definitely want a Kyle Pitts gradient jersey. Uh, I'm still, I'm still a believer. But speaking of Kyle <laughs> Pitts, is Kyle Pitts going to take off this week? It's it's question every week. But what do you guys think? Is this the week where he's going to finally get a touchdown? Is this is this the the the, the game? Um. I mean, yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like again, yes. it's it's one of those I I went back and I'm working on a a piece that maybe maybe it'll come out during the bye week, maybe it'll never see the light of day, depends on on kind of what I <laughs> what I find, but basically I'm going back and watching the all 22 to see how they're using Calvin Ridley um in just their the formations where they're lining him up. 
what kind of role they have for him. And then I want to go back and compare that to last year to just kind of see what the difference is. Cause obviously we can all tell he's off to a much slower start than we've kind of all expected or come to expect from Calvin. But the byproduct of that is that I'm also kind of seeing where Kyle Pitts is, is being lined up. And it's very clear that they are using him as a wide receiver in this offense. Oh yeah. yeah. And I would, I'm, curious to know if that is more of the byproduct of Russell Gage being hurt and if they get back with Russell Gage because I mean they they were going I mean for all intents and purposes it's like 13 personnel but yeah they've yeah. got pits out as as kind of they're doing two wide receivers just you know their x and their z up on the line of scrimmage and, and Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley are their two de facto wide receivers split out wide even in their tight packages so I uh, I wonder how much Kyle Pitts has been thrust into a little bit of a different role than maybe they had a planned for him due to injuries and just the lack of depth at wide receiver. That being said, I think with each week we're seeing Matt Ryan get a little more comfortable with Kyle right, Pitts. Right. And that's ultimately what I think it's going to come down to is that Kyle is going to trust or that Matt's going to trust Kyle to win his one-on-one matchups because so far from what I can tell, teams aren't really doubling Calvin or Kyle. They're yeah. kind of they're kind of walling these guys off with zone. They may have you know one spy kind of over top somebody if they think uh, a little bit of a deeper route is coming. But by and large, it's not a true double coverage no. on either guy. So somebody's got to start to break out. And I think that Kyle is is a little bit of a. I like this matchup for him um, to exploit some of the linebackers that New York has. Yeah, yeah, I agree that New York linebackers are, are a big weakness there, and um, I just, uh, I just, we need to see it from Kyle. I think a lot of people are getting impatient. It's guys, you have to remember, tight end starts slow. It does happen. There's a lot of football left to be played this year, so, so you know. At the goal line against hard. Washington, didn't Ryan like overthrow Pitts? Like he, it looked like he was trying to like really yeah, get him the, a touchdown. The first yeah. drive, and and it looked like they just kind of wanted Pitts to body up and score. <laughs> yeah and, and he got just, he got egregiously held on one of those plays too so mm-hmm. like i don't necessarily blame him either but it kind of it kind of looked to me like he lost his balance because he never even really jumped for the ball like mm-hmm. he was he it's not that he had like great positioning if, if it was a box out situation he was getting boxed out by the defender but he never even really went up for it even though it wasn't like he was being held on on that specific play so i just wonder if he wasn't ready to actually jump at that moment and the ball yeah. was coming in so hot that he just never had a chance at it. Yeah. Um, but I would, they've used Kyle Pitts so much as a decoy. It looks like, especially in the red zone so far that at some point you got to figure that they'll make him the primary target on one yeah. of these plays, especially in the red zone. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's a situation of it's going to start and it's never going to let up. Like Kyle Pitts <laughs> is going to catch his first touchdown and then it's going to be off to the races from there. Um, that's why and, in fantasy, like right now is the perfect time to buy on him because whoever yeah, has him fantasy-wise probably isn't like thrilled with what they've gotten. Yeah, my team with Pitts is 2-2. Two and two. Um, I also have Dawson Knox now uh, off waivers, so, you know, not in the worst situation there. But um, I'm still going to start Kyle Pitts over Dawson Knox because when it when it happens, it's going to happen big. And uh, it's I don't think he's going to let up from that point. Porterell I three touchdown in a single game big? Yeah, I mean, and probably not that big, but um, <laughs> Corderell is just a guy now, you know, seg- segueing into fantasy territory here for a moment. Like, you just have to play him as your flex. It's like, this man could get me 30 points as a flex. Like, yeah, I just have to play him. I don't even care. 
Like I had he's him like, on my bench last week. Yeah, me too. I did. It's like, oh, yeah. I have all these good players. You know, I, I can't really, you know, uh, I don't know. It's got to, it's got, it's it can't continue, right? No, three touchdowns, best day ever. So it's, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, love Corderell. Love that man. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Falcons offense is going to continue to grow. This is a tougher matchup for them. Washington was legitimately one of the worst defenses in the league this year. Um and they they continued playing that way against the Falcons. Jets much better defense, but I think Falcons defense matches up better against them. And I think the Falcons offense is going to continue to improve. So, um, yeah, I, I I like the Falcons against in this one, but um, you know we'll have to see what happens. London is weird. Corey Carter traded Dawson Knox for Najee Harris. Man, uh, I feel like you ripped off whoever had Najee yeah. Harris. Yeah, I mean, like Knox. Like, if if it continues, Knox could be a huge get. But he could be. But Najee Harris, oof, he's got a just, ton of yeah. targets. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, not, he had like fourteen targets last week, right? Or yeah, he's like their best guy. receiver. It's crazy. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous volume. But uh, yeah, back to the 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 matter at hand here. We got one final donation here from Corey Carter with the five dollars again. Corey, thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah, Dre Jungles, hit that like button. Exactly. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. Um, Corey says, I hope they continue to call more 12 and 22 personnel because that offensive set of Cordell Patterson, uh, Lee Smith, Hayden Hurst, and Pitts playing that up-tempo style can really establish some defensive mismatches by flexing Patterson and Pitts uh, could really allow us to expose the defense. I agree. I mean, I think especially with the wide receiver injuries, you go for more. You go for more of that 12 personnel. I think the tight ends you have are much better mismatches than guys like as much as i like zacchaeus i think zacchaeus is like a wide receiver three at best and playing him as wide receiver two not ideal same thing with tajay sharp i I feel like you limit the number of wide receivers you have out there and and get those tight ends on the field Um, well let me uh tell you this against the the giants they i mean that was exactly their game plan right and of course that was the game where there was first game russell gage was out but you there were three different moments in the game where they went five wide and they had nobody in the backfield no nobody on the line of scrimmage just straight up five wide on two of those instances they were in 13 personnel yeah yeah calvin ridley was the only wide receiver in their five wide set that's genius i love that and then the next play they would essentially go hurry up and then go right into a jumbo set with calvin ridley and kyle pitts as kind of their two wide receivers split out corderell in the backfield and you had lee smith and hayden hurst basically doing a jumbo package on one side for a power run play that's awesome. That is great personnel usage. I don't actually have an issue with what Arthur Smith has done personnel-wise so far, especially given kind of the how hamstrung the Falcons are at wide receiver. I think that they have done a really creative job of putting, uh, making a defense prepare to defend literally anything out of any person. Because how many teams are using Lee Smith to go a straight five wide um, uh, at any point in the in the game plan. But you don't do it because you're throwing Lee Smith the ball in that play. You do it because you want the defense to be in there for a, a jumbo run play. And then all of a sudden you're spreading everybody out. Yep. And now you've got these guys who aren't athletes playing in space. And oh, here's a quick pass to Calvin Ridley. Let him get yards after the catch. Or I think a couple of times they threw it to Corderell in that yeah. Yeah, situation. Yeah, he just roasted so people. Yeah. yeah, they're doing a lot of tight bunch to the to the line of scrimmage their their stack sets they'll go two by two a lot they'll have the tight end kind of offset off the line of scrimmage but not in a true like stance more in a um like an athletic stance in the backfield almost like he's gonna um do a 
a cross block, um, a split block, I guess. And I just, I love what Arthur Smith's been doing with the personnel groupings and the play packages on top of that. I just think we are, it's going to maybe take a couple more games to see the fruits of the labor that are being planted early, because that's when you really can start to get creative. And once a team has seen you do something enough times that they're going to start game planning against it, that's when you hit them right out the back door with something new and really get some home run plays going. So I'm excited to see that part of the offense, even if the team's winning or losing. (laughs) <laughs> the development yeah. of this offense uh, under Arthur Smith should be fun to watch closely. Yeah, and I know a lot of people were really kind of jumping on the team over the first couple games for like how limited the offense looked. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to understand this This offense, I think, just is now getting the training wheels off. And I, it, it certainly is an indictment of the coaching staff that they weren't necessarily ready to go for week one. But, um, you know... It, they they it takes time to put a new system into place. Matt Ryan is a quarterback that traditionally has been very good with timing, all that sorts of stuff. So it's going to take time for that for that familiarity to get to that comfort with Ryan. Um, I think we've seen gradually more and more of the playbook installed every week. I think we're getting to the point now where we're actually going to start seeing the offense as Arthur Smith actually wants it to be, not the offense as you know. Week one, it was like we have to design an offense that we can operate <laughs> out of. Uh, that will get the ball out within two seconds every snap because that's how bad this offensive line is going to be. To now in week four, like, oh yeah, we can start throwing some deep balls. Um, so we're, we're getting there. Um, but I would say, as with Kyle Shanahan, it's going to take some time for this offense to really become what it should be. Hopefully we do see it in its final form this year. I think we will towards the end of the year. But um, just keep that in mind, that it is a new offensive system. Don't judge too harshly based off of a couple of games when we've still got, you know, 12 more to go, 13 more to go. So a lot of football left to be played. All right. Uh, yeah, guys. Well, that uh, that's about all I have on the London game. Um, you know, we got to get up bright and early, so we should start getting our sleep now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, guys, we really appreciate everyone for tuning in. Please do like and subscribe. As I said before, check out the Patreon, check out the Q&A on Friday. Before we take off, I want to thank my co-hosts for their contributions. First of all, Will McFadden. He's at Will McFadden on Twitter. Will, anything you're working on that you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, the that Calvin Ridley story I mentioned, um, again, based on just how long it it will probably take and then <laughs> i'd like to get one more sample size uh on our belt because game Pass is doesn't have the all 22 from the first two games so i'd like to have at least a three game sample size this season mm-hmm. before i start making judgments on a uh, certain calvin ridley so that could be on the pipe and then um podcast believe in falcons with ovi mahaley we will drop our newest one friday afternoon previewing sunday's game and then we will be back uh, we'll record Sunday night. It'll go up Monday morning um, with our reactions and analysis of what is hopefully a fun and yes. refreshing and very relaxing, positive. Yes. Uplifting all of the good. You can go into the bye week. Everybody can sh- just relax for a second, enjoy the fall weather, and then we can come back ready for a good second half run of the season because the second half is already here even though we just started the season because the football gods hate the atlanta falcons yes they do (laughs) yep yeah definitely check out will's podcast the believe in in falcons podcast uh with obi mcgaley that's a fun one uh if you guys haven't checked that out yet definitely give that a look um also with us yeah of course yeah it's a fun one um all right (laughs) also with us tonight director of guest personnel evan birchfield evan's been hard at work getting us guests uh 
and we're, we're, we're going to have some more fun ones for you guys, I promise. Um, but uh, Evan also providing the commentary tonight as well. He's hit, hitting double duty for us. Mm. Uh, he is at Evan Birchfield <laughs> on the Twitters. Also runs the Falcoholic Instagram, which you should follow. Anything Please. else you would like to plug, Evan? Yes, I do the fantasy uh, article on, or like outlook for that weekend on Fridays. And I, I'm begging you, please send me questions because nobody ever does. And I have like, I put it in every article. I'm like, send me some questions and nobody ever does. So if you have any questions, even if you already know the answer, send it to me. Just don't tell Dave I'm begging you to. Yeah. Um, so tweet it at me or DM me. Send it to the Falcolic Evan at yahoo.com. Um, oh, and I do the uh, injury report every day, um, which now includes, I don't know why I wasn't doing this from the beginning, but it has the Falcons and their opponent uh, Wednesday through Friday. So if you're like, oh, I wonder what Jets players are yeah. not practicing, um, you can find that out. So yes, You need very, any questions very... for that? <laughs> no. No, Evan, just the, you know. the fantasy. There's only so many times I can be like, you know, let, hey, let's uh, make sure you start in Calvin Ridley. Oh, maybe not start Matt Ryan <laughs> yeah. this weekend. Yeah. That so, was how it always question. was for me when I did it. It was like, do you start Matt Ryan or not? That was basically the central right. question. Um, it was Otherwise, it was like, start Julio? Yeah. Start Calvin? Yeah. Uh, Those were the good old days. Yep. But, yep. <laughs> it, it's, you know, not quite as exciting this year for the Falcons. I, hopefully that will turn around. Um, yeah, Corey, the podcast name for Will, he missed it. It is the Believe. It's B-L-E-A-V. Uh, yep. Believe. Falcons podcast or believe in Falcons podcast. I, I don't know. You can go um, to Will's yeah. Twitter. It, it's on his Twitter it, though. Right? If you go to like, at Will McFadden, yeah, there's yeah. a link there for sure. Um, and, and Will tweets about it too. Yeah. So that if you, if you forget the name, just go to Will's Twitter. Uh, it'll find it there. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Will does a great job with that. And Ovi, Ovi's been a really good uh, co-host. I, I've enjoyed his commentary as Dude, well. Ovi's so been, that's a fun Ovi's one. been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now you Ovi's have to so get good. him to come on this show. So oh, he's, now, he's now you're on sure. the clock. You're on the clock now, uh, director of guest personnel, <laughs> Will McFadden, to get Ovi on here. No, but thank you. Oh, he'd, he'd love to. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll do that at some point, guys, everyone, for Evan, Will, for myself, Kevin Knight, at Falcon Kevin. Um, I also do stuff at the website, uh, writing stuff, uh, stats, <laughs> stats preview tomorrow, um, matchups to watch. I, I promise I'm going to get videos at some time. I'm just so damn frustrated with Game Pass. Uh this season that right. it's, it's really throwing yeah. me off uh they've been so damn slow on getting the all 22 out and the freaking i mean game pass is a mess uh so I, i'm trying my best mood, yeah it puts yeah. me in a bad mood every time i boot it up but um you know uh, i'm gonna be doing some of that at some point so keep a lookout for more videos thanks to everyone for supporting the channel thanks to all of our patrons um if by the way if you're a patron in the 10 or 25 dollar tier and i haven't added you to the to the graphic on the front of the show, please let me know because we actually have a lot of patrons now. So it's possible I have missed someone. I, I don't think I have, but if you haven't noticed your name on there, please let me know on Patreon. I will be glad to add you uh, in that way. But until Friday, guys, Friday at 7 will be our patron Q&A session. Uh, so we'll see the patrons there. Otherwise, we'll see the rest of you on Sunday. Uh, I guess bright and early, probably noonish. Shit, I don't know. Um, way too early. <laughs> but... Um, Way too early for the amount of drinking. We'll need to get through that game. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just power through it like we do here at the Falcoholic. Check that out Sunday after the game. We'll have our post-game show. Until then, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. 
Uh, hopefully enjoy the beginning of your football Sunday, uh, and we will see you guys this weekend for our recap of the Jets game. Until then, guys, have a great night. We will see you then. Have a good one, folks.